2: This past White Sox season was one of the most memorable for all the wrong reasons. A poor showing on the field losing over 60% of their games. A shooting still under investigation in the stands at Guaranteed Rate Field. And talk late last summer about a potential sale and upheaval of the team by owner Jerry Reinsdorf moving them from the south side to even further south, Nashville.
3: The last few years have been very disappointing as a White Sox fan. They just have. The team knows it, Jerry knows it. They need to show their fans that they get it and they need to give them something to like.
2: But here in late January, talk about the White Sox, some official announcements and some mere hearsay, has gone from chilly to at the very least, fine. So is there hope at 35th and Shields going into 2024 and beyond? There are many reasons why Jerry Reinstorf would want to improve the
3: stadium situation of the White Sox. How he goes about doing that or is able to do that
4: is a real question. The public isn't crazy about paying for billionaire sports stadiums, and the governor has made that clear in his discussions with the Bears. So we're going to have to see uh, what can be done in terms of financing and if it shakes people up.
2: I'm Jim Hankey, and this week we're back at the plate for more White Sox Talk. Let's get looped in, Chicago. So to catch you up to speed, here's the major headlines over the last few weeks, and we'll start with the officially announced news that we know. In 2025, SoxFest returns, after multiple years off. Like the Cubs convention, this fan event allows access to the team itself and its decision makers for autograph sessions, Q&As, and more. Which, considering Sox fans' disappointment as of late, is seen as a step in the right direction to not make it seem as if Sox Brass wants to still keep their audience at arm's length. Sox fans also have a new TV announcer coming this season in John Schryffen, new to Chicago but a veteran of TV news, both Major League and Korean baseball, college sports, and the XFL. This hire to replace the much-beloved Jason Benetti makes John the first black play-by-play television announcer in Chicago baseball history, and the second black play-by-play broadcaster, currently working in Major League Baseball. But the biggest story is one without confirmation. The potential that the team would move from 35th and Shields to the 78, located at Roosevelt and the Chicago River, spread across 62 acres. Both Mayor Johnson and MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred support the idea, though no solid plans have been announced.
4: The stars do appear to be aligning right now. Not only do you have the commissioner coming out in favor of it, but you've got... Obviously, Jerry Reinstorf, the owner of the team, and the mayor are also, uh, and they're talking. That's a very good sign. And local aldermen are coming out uh, for it, as are uh, the unions. So this is a pretty good group uh, people who know how things get done in this town. However, we haven't heard from some important entities, including the state of Illinois. And nobody really knows where the Illinois Sports Facility Authority is in this deal. Those are things that are going to have to be worked out.
2: That is Bob Reed, business writer and contributor to Chicago Magazine, appearing on WBBM's Noon Business Hour this week.
4: The whole point of the 78 is to link it to downtown and to the rest of the city on the south side. And that's what they think is going to happen that it will actually develop a new neighborhood, one that will be right in the middle of everything, easier to get to by public transportation. You'd have underground parking, you'd have all sorts of things that will make it easier for people to get in and out of the ballpark. But, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on the design. Are they going to make a mistake like they did before and kind of design a a ballpark that was good for yesteryear? Or are they going to do something that's a little more uh, modern and interactive for people to enjoy?
2: And we can only speculate, but what would happen to Guaranteed Rate Field should the team decide to leave?
4: It would seem the most likely option would be for another team to move in. By that, maybe a soccer team. There's also been talk in the media about using it more for outdoor concerts, trying to get more out of the facility on a year-round basis. That's easier said than done because of the weather and, to a degree, because of the location. And there isn't a lot around there, and that's you know part of the issue here. The socks don't have a lot of ancillary revenue coming from the surrounding area immediately around the ballpark. Yeah, They control parking and things like that. But if you put this down into 78, you're going to build a community around it. And the chances are the Sox will no longer be leaving money on the table. They'll be able to maximize what they can get, like the Cubs are doing at Wrigley Field.
2: Later in the episode, we'll hear from White Sox beat reporter for MLB.com, Scott Merkin, on the team's acquisitions over the winter and more on a post-Benetti Sox era. But first, returning guest and WBBM sports reporter Rick Gregg joined me recently to discuss the 78 rumors and some of the history into how Guaranteed Rate Field came to be in the first place. It seems we just began deleting the word Nashville from our vocabulary in talking about the White Sox, and now we have this hubbub about a move within the city. Let's discuss how this started and and what we know, because obviously nothing's concrete, but it seems like there have been some serious talks about this.
3: Well, let's start here. The following things are facts. Jerry Reinsdorf is in his 80s. He wants to put the White Sox on a good foundation, either for the rest of his life or whomever is next. Fact number two, who is going to be next? We don't know because Jerry has partners. And the overwhelming feeling is that when Jerry Reinstorf passes away, the plan is to sell that team. The other thing that is true is that the lease the White Sox have at guaranteed rate field expires in 2029. Okay. So that's only five more, six more seasons is what we're talking about before the Sox either have to re-up the lease at guaranteed rate field or find someplace else to go. Here's another fact. You'll notice I keep using the word lease. A lot of people have forgotten or didn't know to begin with that the White Sox don't own that stadium. The state of Illinois owns guaranteed rate field as part as something the uh, Illinois Sports Facilities Authority that was created in 1989 the last time Jerry went looking for another place to move the White Sox part of the midnight deal actually past midnight deal that's a fun story by the way that they said that they did in Springfield included the creation of the ISFA which issued 150 million dollars in bonds and funded the construction of guaranteed rate field so Jerry is a tenant in this stadium and that the lease is running out. And what are we going to have to do? Because any construction project we do on this building is going to take a couple of years to get uh, through all of the different red tape that it has to get through. So there are many reasons why Jerry Reinstorf would want to improve the stadium situation of the White Sox. How he goes about doing that or is able to do that is a real question. Because again, if he wanted to build a stadium with his own money, I don't think anybody would stop him, but he didn't last time. (laughs) so What's going to end up happening? The the early rumors, the early thoughts are that they're going to go back to the ISFA and ask them to issue more bonds for construction of a new stadium. That's going to go through a lot of legislative hurdles and procedural hurdles if it's ever to happen.
2: If the sale of the team occurs after Reinsdorf passes, yeah. this whole move still feels like you know it's the promise of a new home potentially. That's got to sweeten the deal for some other corporation, some other family group who's potentially willing to buy, right? Like it's more attractive to them to have a fresh start. Ooh, new stadium. Okay, like what can we do, right? And not only that, but even if it was the same stadium, at
3: least it would be a a stable thing, right? We know what we're doing in this procedure or in this place. We know what we are coming in to buy. Here's another question. We don't know anywhere near enough about a proposed stadium closer to town. We know a proposed possible sites. We don't know what it would look like. We don't know what would be built around it. And that's another important thing. You know, wouldn't it be nice for the Cubs and they if they owned all the bars in Wrigleyville, for example? Now, they don't, but, you know, they've systematically bought up the rooftops. We have Gallagher Way and the stuff that's attached to that. The Cubs, the Ricketts family, has spent its money. Hotel Zachary has spent its money and created that section where there are other streams of revenue coming in than just the gate tickets for 81 different ball games a year and maybe the playoffs if the Cubs are lucky. Wouldn't it be nice if the White Sox came with a neighborhood or... A ballpark village, as they call it in St. Louis, wouldn't it be nice if there were other revenue streams than just the game itself? And so that's where it's all going to come down to if they were to you know, enter into an agreement to move to this lot and they were even to get the money from the state of Illinois to do it now. Who owns the side restaurant? Who owns the team shop over there? Who owns the apartments that are going to come up? Who owns all of this stuff? Where is that money going to? There's a lot, a lot, a lot of hurdles that have to be jumped. It's a realistic possibility, but before we even say it's a concrete anything.
2: And I want to throw out the quote that Kevin Warren had about a new Bears home rather recently, yeah. where, where I think he said, and pretty hard lined about it. Three years, three years from beginning to end of construction. And again, that's one man's opinion at the head of a very popular Chicago sports team. But sure. Three years, to to your point, if we got six more seasons at guaranteed rate, three years is in half that time. And that's from putting the shovel in
3: the ground. It takes three years to build that stadium in Arlington Heights. That doesn't include the site survey, doesn't include deciding where the stadium's going to be, doesn't include any of the other fun stuff that has to go into a major building project like this. There have also been bonds issued for the reconstruction of Soldier Field. That also was an ISFA project. The Bears got state money. That was about $400 million, uh, if I remember right. But the vast majority of that is from the Bears. White Sox Stadium is pretty much almost paid off at this point. So once that's done, that also kind of frees up Jerry to ask for some more money. And I don't really owe you that much, so let's do this. I, I think that's kind of important in this grand scheme of things, but all of it's going to matter as far as public funding is concerned it's all going to come down to do you want to give more money to a sports stadium when it's been shown over and over again, that the economic impact is generally uh, very
2: minimal. Certainly not what the owners would have. You think the Sox would still be the South side team, obviously, but this would move them about two and a half miles closer to Wrigley field, separating them only by about 20 minutes by car, like on a good day. Right. And you have to wonder if even that 20 minutes means A certain portion of fans who either moved here or what have you that that don't have any real allegiance, who maybe need to think with their family's wallet in mind, wouldn't take more advantage of that than they would potentially going to Wrigley. Like catching a White Sox game because arguably it could be better for a family's bottom line if they're not necessarily the biggest baseball family in Illinois. Let's
3: do the magic thing. Let's put the stadium up where uh, in this lot, and let's say it happens. Okay, the White Sox aren't just the south side team now. They're pretty much the downtown team now, and that's kind of important too because now it's easier to get to uh, from the north side, uh, as you mentioned, and from the western suburbs, although 55 kind of – Pokes in right there at a guaranteed rate field, they do have to figure out some of the issues regarding like train transportation. Right now the socks are right there on the red line that wouldn't necessarily be the case at this other lot. So they have work to do there. The White Sox don't really have anywhere to go but up uh, as far as attendance is concerned. I don't think that moving to a new stadium is specifically to try and siphon Cub fans away or anything like that, but they have nowhere to go but up. It would be a great move for the team to move to that lot. It would look like a great deal for the city, but it all comes down to the money. Again, if Jerry wants to use his own money to build that stadium, you know, more power to him. I don't think anybody's going to get in the way of that, and it would be a good thing for the White Sox. What's interesting about the Sox right now, this is something I actually didn't know or realize until just a couple of years ago. They pay the state of Illinois a lease fee every year, Mm -hmm. but they don't pay any percentage of ticket sales unless they draw over 1.93 million for a season. If they keep it under that number, they don't pay the state of Illinois an extra dime on the tickets that they sell. So there's no incentive for the Sox to field, for example, a middling team, but get more people in the stands. If they're going to win the World Series or they have a team that can do that, that's one thing. But if they're going to be bad, they have more of an incentive in this current structure just to be bad and and not have to pay extra money uh, to the state of Illinois. Nobody really wants to be bad; they don't want to be bad. But when you're talking about, well, do we spend an extra five million dollars on this free agent when we're going to have to give four and a half million dollars to the state of Illinois if we win? Hmm, you think about that, you know. And I, I do think that that enters the equation quite a bit. Also. If I'm Jerry Reinstorf in the next deal, I'm going to try and wrest naming rights away. I can tell you that because the reason it's guaranteed rate field has nothing to do with what the White Sox want and everything to do with what the Illinois Sports Facilities Authority wanted because they're the ones who own the rights of the stadium. And that's a revenue stream that if I'm the White Sox, I'm trying to approach. So, I mean, that's just kind of a collection of random thoughts that I have about this stadium. But going back to your original thought about Nashville and the possibility of the Sox would move, 100% of Nashville is still smaller than 33% of Chicago. So <laughs> no, I mean, financially and population yeah. wise, it's not that Nashville
2: is a bad place. It's when the Sox are humming, you can do really good business. And let's wrap up talking about uh, the other big White Sox news is the return of Sox Fest for next year. <laughs> Does this return speak to the optimism that the brass has? Or is it a case of, look, if we don't honor this 2005 team in this way, then what other reason is there for us to have another socks fest in the modern era like i I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that
3: i'm mostly speculating here but i think you're right about the 2005 team i think that they they were going to honor the 2005 team probably several different ways uh, in this coming season um, probably something during the season they'll bring everybody back but for SoxFest to come back what you do by bringing in the 05 team is you naturally inject a whole lot of good feelings no matter how this season goes and no matter how upset your fans are for not having SoxFest the last couple of years people understood canceling 2021 because of the health and safety protocol issues and in 2022 all right fine you didn't have time to get it back together there's still some health issues to work around 2023 and 2024 they were just uh, and i'm putting in air quotes here various issues why it wouldn't work and it's up to you to figure out how much of that was boy gee logistics is hard and how much of it was oh the fan base seems pretty angry maybe we shouldn't have them all in one place socks fest has never been as popular as cubs convention but when you bring back Frank and Ozzy and all of the rest of AJ and Jermaine and Paul you guarantee yourself good feelings to come through I will say I hope that the White Sox were paying very close attention to what happened when the Bulls decided to do their ring of honor thing with about 6 weeks of notice and it kind of blew up in their faces a little bit so there's a whole year almost to get this right <laughs> and I have faith actually that they will it's a good marketing thing for the White Sox you sell a lot of merchandise you get people pumped up I would imagine it's going to be very good uh when all
2: is said and done. Absolutely. And nostalgia is a powerful drug if we know well, it. Oh, nostalgia happens. is a
3: huge drug. And the White Sox don't have all that much to be happy about over the last however many years, other than Jim Tomey and Mark Burley. But Mark Burley was on that team. You know, the last few years have been very disappointing as a White Sox fan. They just have. And the team knows it. Jerry knows it. They need to show their fans that they get it and they need to give them
2: something to like.
3: And maybe the Sox Fest will be it, but it's a long way off.
2: After the break, MLB.com's Scott Merkin joins me for more stats and speculation on the White Sox 2024 season. Stay tuned. Why? Why? If you Why? have
0: T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why?
6: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
2: Scott Merkin writes for MLB.com and has covered the White Sox for over 20 years. He joined me this week to dive further into the current stories coming out of the South Side. Let's talk about some off-season moves thus far. Um, What have you been encouraged by, or is there anything else you expect? We're two months now from opening day. Anything else you'd expect before spring training to tighten up any areas for improvement?
6: Yeah, I think, you know, they're still looking for a right fielder. They have Gavin Sheets, who I had a chance to talk to when the players were in town for a very nice uh, Boys and Girls Club of Chicago event last Thursday. Then they had a corporate event they attended and they went to the season ticket holder event at Field Museum, which I heard was done very well by the White Sox, by the way. A lot of a lot of people I know who are season ticket holders went and really seemed to enjoy the event. But anyways, Gavin would, could be a left-handed bat out of there, but I think they would want a right-handed bat to go with. They don't really have a deep roster in terms of 40 men in the outfield right now. Now, we haven't seen their non-roster invites yet, so there may be some. I, I know Brett Phillips is on that list. But I think they're going to add another outfielder. And they still could add, you know, more bullpen. You know, it's been said before, you can never have enough pitching. No team's ever satisfied with pitching. We've kind of asked Chris Getz about his plan, about his vision. And I'm not sure if he specifically nailed it yet or wants to say it yet. But, I mean, the only real, like, multi-year addition this year uh, offseason has been Eric Fetty, who pitched in the United States before, pitched for Washington, struggled, went to Korea, and won basically, you know, the every award pitching-wise you could in Korea has now come back with the White Sox. And I I wrote about this today in my newsletter uh, about how the Sox are well aware what people think, you know, that they lost 101 games last year, and some people think it could be even worse in 2024. I disagree on that. I mean, I don't think they're going to win the division. I don't think, you know, I'm not projecting them to, you know, go to the LCS or anything, but I do think they have a good group now in that clubhouse. And as Michael Soroka pointed out to me, as Andrew Benatendi said, as Gavin Sheet said, they can kind of use this to fuel themselves. They have a lot of guys in there with something to prove. But again, it's it's kind of a socks thing in that there's a lot of ifs. If Moncada stays healthy and plays like he did a few years ago, if Aloy Jimenez stays healthy and hits 35 to 40 homers, if Ben has a better year than his, you know, his first year ended up being decent, but he's a better player than that. And I think he would tell you that. And he was hurt a lot last year. If Andrew Vaughn continues to progress, if Fetty really did find something in Korea. So you see what I'm saying? There's a lot of ifs. Even if all those ifs add up, I don't think they're a contender, but they could be better than people think. And this team has a lot of energy, and the defense has improved. I think they're going to play at a faster pace, if that makes sense for baseball, you know, force the action a little more. And I think they should have a very good clubhouse. They acquired and signed a lot of kind of high-character guys. Now, again, to wrap up a long answer, I don't think Sox fans care how high-character they are, or if you're building a, you know, culture to win in the future, they just want wins. So I get that. And ultimately, you know, talent trumps all, but fit makes a difference too. And I think we've seen that in Chicago, just two examples, 2005 Sox and 2016 Cubs, you know, great teams. Don't get me wrong. Outstanding teams, but also played very well together as a group.
2: Absolutely. And you have to go into any season. I think like if you've got 10 of those ifs, you have to kind of play a little bit under the radar and go, let's logistically think we're going to hit three of these. You know right. what I mean? Like if you, right. if you go in thinking like, well, all this stuff has to align for us to be at, let's say 80 wins or something like that, but you have to go in kind of like conservatively and go, we're going to lose people to injury. We're going to trade sure. people, we're sure. you know, all those sorts of things. Yeah.
6: Well, obviously everything changes. You know, Dylan sees has been talked about since basically Chris gets took over, maybe not quite that point. He took over in season, but certainly since the off season began and this is, you know, Chris gets big moves. So credit to Chris gets, and that he's not forcing an issue. He's not trading him because he's got to trade him because he's got two years of control. But Dylan's kind of a, you know, a different thinker too and is kind of his own guy, so we'll see what happens there. But nonetheless, when you have a when you have a talent like that, you have a good clubhouse guy like that, you have a guy who finished second in the Cy Young in 2022 behind Justin Verlander, you're not going to trade him for 50 cents on the dollar. So if Chris Geats is asking for a high return and he's not getting it and Dylan opens the, as the White Sox for the second straight years are opening day starter, so be it. You may get a better package in April. You may get a better package in spring training. You may get a better package at the trade deadline.
2: Absolutely. And with Cease, you know, he means more to a team that's actually competing. He would mean more to Baltimore or New York or L.A. or even Seattle now here is in the mix as of this week than he technically would to a White Sox season. Where we're still under the capital R of retooling to get maybe to a competitive level
6: within two or three years or so—is that right? But I mean, he helps any team, right? If you have cease with the White Sox, and again, I'm not going out and saying this team's going to challenge Minnesota and Cleveland for the, and probably even Detroit this year, and even Kansas City's made some strides. They very well could finish last. They very well could win sixty-six games or lose a hundred again. But take away your ace. Take away a guy who's made every start the last three years. You know, is is durable as they come will go out there and take the ball every fifth day without hesitation. You you change the look of things. But certainly, I mean, if you add Dylan Cease to the Seattle rotation with Luis Castile, that's a tremendous look. If you add Dylan Cease to the Orioles rotation, again, a tremendous look. You know, look at what the Cubs and Sox did at the beginning of the rebuild, right? Where it was Jimenez and Cease, two guys who have been, you know, productive, very productive for the Sox over the years. Jimenez has been beset by injuries. For Jose Quintana, different spots in their time, right? Sox were beginning a rebuild. The Cubs were trying to repeat as World Series champions and knew they needed pitching. And to their credit, you know, they ended up winning the division that year. And I and Quintana played a big part when he got over there. And the Sox were hoping that Cease and Jimenez would take them into this competitive window and help them win. They've helped, but they, you know, didn't get the results they wanted.
2: You mentioned Detroit. Let's go over that a little bit, because we could be here all day discussing what Jason Benetti meant to White Sox fans. Yeah, yeah. And that opening season series against Detroit, you couldn't have scripted it, right? That the voice of the White Sox right. was going to come back the first three games or so with his new team to start off the 2024 season. He is a rarity where you have a guy who grew up and lived and breathed there. this team his whole life and then became their television voice or their radio voice. It's very rare just in the history of you know broadcasted sports. Absolutely. Really. But John Triffin comes now in, new to Chicago entirely, new to day-in, day-out coverage of a team. In everybody that you talk to in in Sox land, let's call it, do you feel the Southside fans will embrace him and Stoney? Or what would you say excites you, maybe, about having a new face in the booth?
6: Yeah, I think, first of all, Jason's tremendous. Tremendous guy, tremendous broadcaster. We went to the same high school at Homewood Flossmore, just a few years apart. There was a genuine and general disappointment over Jason leaving, obviously. Now, Jason's going to a good situation. You, You can't argue that, you know, I think he's going to have the broadcast that he wants out there. I'm sure he's being paid very well to be the voice of the Tigers. And in talking to John, which I had the chance to do for about 30 minutes, he's an interesting guy. I think he's going to do a good job. I think he's I think he's 39, I want to say. So you have a chance for him to kind of grow and make his name and become the voice of the Sox on this job. Right. I mean, you could have him for I get that he's got some national commitments, too. But his focus right now is the White Sox. He is the White Sox broadcaster. He's going to do as many games as possible. I also think it's extremely interesting that he has a news background. He's told me some couple crazy stories about some of the things he got to cover when he was working for ABC news. So that's a different perspective, but sounds like he really wants to get inside the team. You know, he told me about how he wants, you, you can see in the story, but at MLB.com, but he wants to, you know, get to know the players. He wants to be around the cage. He wants, to, and I, and I saw Jason doing that too. Jason was in the clubhouse and that's what you got to do. You got to get to know the guys. So, I think he's going to do a good job. I have to admit that before they hired him, I didn't know a ton about him, but it was, it was very interesting talking to John, and I think they, they made a good choice there.
2: I don't expect you to be an expert on stadium building and no. the business, business of moving locations. But...
6: As I as I joked with you before, to quote Seinfeld, we'll leave that to the architects and the uh, city planners on that one. <laughs> Fantastic.
2: That's exactly right. Um, I, I have to wonder, though, if technology is at a pace where infrastructure, at least for sports entertainment, just doesn't keep up, right? Like guaranteed Rate field opens in 1991, obviously under a different name. So let's say it no longer is the home of the White Sox in like five or six years. So so that means if, if we do the math, it will have come and gone as a major league baseball stadium in less than 40 years. And the Brewers have a stadium that's 10 years younger, but even that is being talked about as- right. improvements both structurally and from an entertainment perspective they've had issues with the the roof since day one why do we feel like we're in an era of arenas and stadiums not lasting as long as the ones that our moms and dads and our grandparents went to the 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 true archetypes and and kingdoms of professional sports that we kind of long for right um seem to be gone and obviously we don't even we don't even need to talk about naming rights naming rights change every 10 years or so. But the actual structure is concerning because 40 years doesn't seem that long for a person to live, let alone a building that it brings in 35,
6: 60,000 people right. to sports for half the year. I think that's a good question to ask, especially the people like in charge. But I also think if you look at it just empirically, think about just what's changed. If you're 40 years old, what's changed in society from the time we won't even go into like infant stages from the time you were 10 until you were 40, Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. And so you apply that same to the stadium. I don't think teams anymore want just the stadium. You know, it used to be the stadium stood alone. Oh my God, it's Wrigley. It's Dodger stadium. It's Fenway park. They almost all of them now have that entertainment complex and complex is the right word, but entertainment area where the ballpark is kind of the center and that's what, you know, from what I understand is being talked about with the Sox, new ballpark. That's what they want. You know, it's been compared to I, I for the first time I got to cover a game at uh, Atlanta's new stadium last year. And that's, you know, the battery. It's an amazing area. You know, it's the ballpark. You walk out probably about a five minute walk and there's a huge couple of hotels, a bunch of bars, a bunch of restaurants. There's a stage in the middle of it. And so you're drawing people in besides the ballpark. I mean, Wrigley's kind of an anomaly because that's been like that. For a long time. You know, they've had the neighborhood around the ballpark. But you look at an area like San Diego, that's amazing. You know, what they've done with that ballpark, which is in the middle again of a neighborhood thing. And, or you look at like even Fenway has built up quite a bit around it. There's a lot of bars and restaurants. So I think, you know, just a little I know of this at the early stages, although it sounds like it's moving, um, it, I just think the Sox wants more than just the ballpark and they want to go to an area that makes sense where they can draw the most people and maximize with this entertainment complex idea where it's more where the ballpark is a big part but it's not the only part of what they're doing
2: well let's wrap up talking about Soxfest returning in 2025 Um, as I covered with Rick Gregg earlier we'll get a 20-year reunion celebration whatever you want to call it of the 05 championship team I hadn't realized as well though that this will be the 125th anniversary of the franchise and I wonder what could really be done to mark that in a meaningful way for fans, because it feels like as good of a time as any to really get all of Sox nation back on your side, really inject that nostalgia, sure. you know, in the lead up to this.
6: I'd like to clarify, first of all, that I have not covered all 125 years of the white Sox. <laughs> this is just my 22nd year. So You're let's, let's get that. Let's get that looking. out of the way right away. You knew they were not going to miss on a chance with the 20th anniversary of that world series team. That world series team is so special to Sox fans, really to the city. I mean, you know, we've had many more champions now than like kind of when I was growing up with the Six Bulls and the Three Hawks and Cubs and Sox. And, uh, you know, we still go back to the Bears championship. I mean, when I was growing up, the Sting won a title in, I think it was NASL, and they had a parade for the Sting because it was like, holy cow, Chicago won a championship, you know? So you knew they would celebrate that. But yeah, the 125 years is interesting. They're pretty creative over there, so I'm sure they're going to have some good things going I'm more interested to see how they're going to lay this out. I want to see where the locale is going to be. I've not heard anything on that and just kind of the structure, but I think fans are excited. I think there's been a little bit of buzz about the White Sox with the stadium and the Sox has coming back. Now we'll see if, you know, what the players have talked about, about having that kind of collective chip on their shoulder about playing with something to prove will manifest itself. You know, once spring training starts onto the field in the regular season, but yeah, it's good. I, I think, Whatever fans are upset, and you know, obviously Sox fans are not happy right now, and they have a right to not be happy, you know, in this. They they stood by that rebuild and which was, I thought was executed very well, and they ended up winning two playoff games out of the entire rebuild period. So they have a right to be upset. But I think more than anything, you know, I I covered the media part of the Cubs convention and just walked through as I left the Sheraton. And I think it just gets fans excited about baseball when it's cold, when it's three degrees in Chicago, and it gives you a hint like, holy cow, and just, you know what was it, February, like two months, there's going to be baseball again. So I think they have value besides just letting fans go up and vent in town hall meetings and that kind of thing or ask people really enjoy and, and kids, too. It's good building the product name because, you know, there's literally kids, people from six to 90 at these things. So it really is a good melding pot for baseball and kind of pushes you forward.
2: Yeah, your next Jason Benetti, if you will. There you, is there, there you go there
6: you go I've seen a few I've seen a few ask some really good questions <laughs> when they're up there and you wonder what happened to them after that
2: <laughs> that's right that's right uh Scott Merkin folks can read your White Sox beat on MLB.com thank you so much for joining me this week Alex.
6: anytime thanks Jim
2: this episode of looped in Chicago is written produced edited and hosted by me Jim Hankey, and special thanks this week to Andy Gersher for use of audio from the noon business hour WBBM's news director is Craig Schwalb and Myron Kaplan is our managing producer of national news podcasts. You can follow us on TikTok at WBBM News Radio 105.9, as well as on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at WBBM News Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll keep you looped in again right here next week. See you then. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix,